this podcast is great because your enthusiasms, it's why we've all been reading you for so long. This is a great vehicle for you to actually get to in a long form way, explore those enthusiasms, sometimes with the perspective of an additional 10 or 20 years. Thanks for doing this today, pal. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having the me. fun of this is I just talk to guys that I want to talk to. That's what to me is such a blast about listening to your show. First of all, the first time I ever saw Bernie on television, I started to talk like him <laughs> as I was watching him. <laughs> Can you imagine the great Michael Jordan saying, hey, you know what? We can't beat the Pistons. Let me go join them. The essence of sports is about competition. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Mike Lupica. Thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we are joined by the great Rick Riley, who is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump. But before we get started with Rick, I want to tell you about Geico. Okay, this is a 30-second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me, because if, if it doesn't confuse me, it's not going to confuse you. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years. And anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. The company, of course, is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers. And in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh, damn, I'm out of time. Welcome back to the to the Mike Lupica podcast. And and why is Rick Riley back on this podcast? Because he is one of the great podcast guests, one of the great radio guests, um, stand up comic funny. And and by the way, I never thanked you for an, doing an unbelievable job as the MC the night uh, I was bizarrely uh, inducted into the National Sports Media Hall of Fame in Winston-Salem. My sons and I were talking about it last night at dinner. My three boys, uh, you met who you met that night. We're talking. I mean, y- you really were stand-up comic funny that night. <laughs> well, uh, not not to be this way, but it wasn't a hard act to follow from the year before. <laughs> Do you remember the guy that always wore the same tux for like forty yeah, yeah, years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you don't have to. But, but no, let's not let's not get sidetracked here. Anyway, okay, sorry, sorry. Rick Riley has won so many uh, Sports Writer of the Year awards. I, I I lose count. He is also in the National Sports Media Hall of Fame. Uh, he has he has been a bestseller as a novelist and in nonfiction. But his most recent book might be the funniest thing he's ever written about Donald Trump called Commander in Cheap, which uh, spent weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And we talked about it not long after it came out. And, and so y- you are back today. So thank you for coming back today, my friend. Well, you know, we had four weeks on the New York Times list, or as Trump would say, four years. <laughs> You know, we were talking about this. this is completely irrelevant to the conversation I want to have with you today. But, Rick, have you seen the footage of Ivanka Trump at the G20 trying to insinuate herself into uh, into a conversation with other world leaders? It's if you no, have not. It. What happened? No. Oh, no, no. They just look at her like, what do you want? It, she's 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 she, it's like Trudeau is there and and uh, um and they're they're having like a serious conversation about stuff, okay? And and it's apparently had like oh no, you have to go look at it. It's had like twenty million views. 
20 million views because <laughs> at some point they all look at her like what what <laughs> um have you seen the the footage of trump who says he's a 2.8 handicap which by the way is really good uh, uh, in golf, you know, you, you want your handicap to be, it's like a cholesterol. You want the number to be low. <laughs> right. And he's a 2.8. Nicholas is a 3.5. Right. I saw yeah, John yeah. Elway the other day. He's a 3.9. And he's one of, you know, he can beat anybody. <laughs> so he's a 2.8 handicap. So somehow he was playing in Ireland. You know, he had that phony, that phony trip he took just yeah. so he could show off his course. Even there was no reason to go to Dunebeg, <laughs> Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Since all the leaders are in, in in Dublin, so anyway, somebody got out their phone and watched and shot him playing, and he he can't chip. He has the chip yips. Remember when Tiger had the chip yips and he couldn't chip? Oh, I've had I've had them right too. Now. Okay, which is why my them. handicap is not as low as it once was. <laughs> so he's at the he's on par five, and it looks like it's maybe his fourth shot, and he he's got to chip it up maybe twenty yards up to the green. Yeah. Chunks it, comes back to his feet, and the crowd roars. Chunks it, comes back to his feet, and the cra- and now he's not laughing anymore. Chunks it, comes back to his feet. The fourth try, he gets it on there, and as I tweeted, still made birdie. <laughs> well, you know, my friend Curtis Strange has one of my favorite golf lines, and I'm sure you've heard it, Rick. The older he gets... The farther away from the green he putts balls, okay, and that is a perfect description of 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 my game. And I've seen the footage of Trump's swing, and you know, I think it's the old Jimmy Demerit line. Maybe you heard it for somebody else. Yeah. You know, you, you look at the swing and say, don't, "Yeah, don't take that swing out of town," okay? And and well, you, uh, can't get, you can't get parts for it. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. so, so tell me now, um, there's been some time since the book, uh, came out, you know, and I, I went to just out of curiosity today to Amazon. It's got a million reviews, but you didn't get crushed. You didn't get crushed. Um, I didn't, but, I, don't, I don't dare look at it. What are they saying? No, no, no. But, but you know, it's, it's like four and a half stars or, or, or whatever it is. And, and again, and, <laughs> any writer who takes that stuff, you know, too seriously, they'll drive themselves insane. But what I'm saying yeah. is you did not get crushed oh, by the MAGA, by the MAGA crushed. people. Yes. Um, so most Republicans that have come up to me or stood up at uh, book signings, um, have have said the same thing, which is, yeah, okay, so you, okay, he cheats, we get it, so what? Right. And I'm like, what's, he says, well, what are they always, they, oh, this guy got stuff in Phoenix, what's it got to do with his presidency? He's still the greatest president ever. And I said, well, you know, you tell me, like, if he cheats at golf, do you think he might cheat on his taxes? Right. And he cheats on his wife, does he cheat at investigations? Does he cheat in elections? Uh, you know, the way you do one thing, I had this baseball coach, he used to tell us, the way you do one thing, boys, is how you're going to do everything. And so if you don't practice well, you're not going to play well. If you're late to practice, you're going to be late to work. If you're going to cheat out here, you're going to cheat on your wife. That's so true. Golf, golf is like bicycle shorts. It reveals a lot about a guy. <laughs> yeah. and, and what it reveals about Trump is that he doesn't give a crap about you or your rules. And so that's why if the tournament was, if the club championship was held and he was in Singapore, he can come back and look at the board and go, I beat, I beat that guy all the time. Make me the club champ. And so some poor guy comes off the board, 
maybe it might be his greatest moment of his golfing life. And he comes off the board and he puts his name on. I mean, there's a special circle of hell for someone that does that. Yeah, be like the Golden State Warriors just hanging a plaque at their new arena and declaring themselves champions of this season, you know, and, right, and well, just he's won 20 club championships, he says. He's 20 club championships. So I called Buddy Marucci, who's the only rich old guy who I thought maybe could match that. Remember Buddy was oh, the old yeah. guy that took, that took Tiger Woods to the final uh, of the U.S. Amateur and lost? But, I mean, <laughs> he said, he belongs to – he's over the 14 club limit. He belongs to Cyprus and, and Pine Valley and all the great clubs. Right. Right? The National and all that. And how many of you won, buddy? Because he's scratch and he's rich. And he says, maybe eight. And yeah. I said, buddy, have you showed up? Did you actually play the tournament? Well, he says, what do you mean? Well, Trump doesn't have to play the tournament. And, in fact, sometimes the tournament's not even helped. Like, he's won about eight – where he just played the first round at his golf course that he bought, the <laughs> uh, first round ever played, and declares that's a club championship. Well, he plays with Melania, and unless she gets hot, then there's no <laughs> He's going to be the – so if you, if, you, if you ever go to a Trump course, and it's one of his where he's built it, look at the plaques. The first couple of years are always his. One year, they didn't, they didn't even have nine holes, and he declared himself the champion. They were hey, still Mike, I, I got to tell you this story because it involves your friend, Bob Ryan. <laughs> and it's about you and I are on a podcast right now. So I'm doing this. You know, when you have a book out, you just have to just flog it all over the world. Yep, right. Yep, yep. So the booker calls Bob Ryan, the great Boston Globe writer. Bob, uh, how would you like to do a podcast with Rick Riley? He goes, sure. And she says, OK, uh, call him at noon Friday. So Bob calls me at noon Friday, and uh, how you been? You know, and we shoot the breeze for a couple, three minutes, and he goes, well, I'm ready. And I'm like, well, I'm ready. And uh, then we sit in abject silence for three minutes, neither one of us talking. And Bob finally goes, what the hell, Rick? I'm, I'm sitting here. Ask a question. I'm like, you're, you're supposed to ask a question. It's your podcast. And he goes, I don't have a podcast. I'm on your podcast. I go, <laughs> I don't know the podcast. And we both sat there like idiots thinking we were on the other guy's podcast. He's, and neither of us have one. Rick, I have known him. He's he's <laughs> as close to a big brother as I have. I've known him I since know. I was at college. He was one of the I first know. guys in the business who who was nice to me. Okay, when I was writing for the Heights at Boston College, nice and the reason everybody. and the reason we're we're st he and Mitch and I are still doing the sports reporters as a podcast is because it's just for the sheer fun of it. You know that we didn't want to break up the band, and so right. um and and yesterday. Mitch was traveling and and it was just Bob and I and and about halfway through I thought to myself we've done 20 minutes it feels like two and it feels like a continuation of a, of a, a conversation that started in the 1970s <laughs> well it was abject humiliation though because we were both like what are we doing are we yeah. the only two guys in America without a podcast but I yeah. guess he has one he has one with you Hey, um, uh, we're talking to Rick Riley, who's uh, had a, a recent and wonderful bestseller called Commander in Cheat. And, and, and the book is about how golf explains Trump. And, and Rick, you know, you grew up loving golf. I grew up loving golf. We, we both played golf reasonably well. And, and I don't think that we ever try to turn it into 
church. However, there, there are lessons to be learned from this sport. And one of them is this. And if you don't know somebody and you go out and play 18 holes with them, you are going to find out a lot about them over the next four and four and a half hours or, or however hell long it takes you to play the round. Yeah, it, it reveals character. You know, you knew Arnie. I knew Arnie. And I can remember one day when he and I were going to play golf. And he, he said, well, there's a guy joining us. I'm like, well, who is he? He goes, oh, so this guy I might enter in, into a deal with. And I go, okay. He said, you know, I never enter into a business deal unless I've played one round of golf for money with a guy. And I'm like, why? And he says, because you can't hide who you are in four hours. So he says, true. the game is so hard that people are going to cheat if they're cheaters. They're going to lose their temper if they're temper losers. They're going to be no fun if they're no fun to be with. And that's how they're going to be in meetings. That's how they're going to be in business. And I remember the guy was no fun. Yeah. And he cheated. You know, we, we saw him foozle. You know what a foozle is, right? Oh, yeah. You get there and you kind of foozle the t lie up. That's totally illegal in golf. <laughs> and so, and the thing about golf is, I think, except for maybe bowling, it's our only sport with no refs. It's, it's always been a game of honor among yep. ladies and gentlemen. Yep. And that's how it's, you know, the golf is older than the piano. This game has been around for almost 600 years. So it's always been a game with no refs, and you call your own penalty. There was a girl this year in high school that had a six-shot lead to win the state. I can't remember what state it was. She's about to win the state uh, high school title. And uh, she miscounted on a hole after the thing was over, and she yep. went, and she knew what, she knew what was going to happen. They disqualified her. She, no one else knew. And Jack Nicholas called her up and said, good for you. That's what the game's about. Well, Donald Trump shoots 95 and turns, and turns in 72. I mean, he, when I played with him, he took four mulligans, you know, which is like they're just floating mulligans. You, get it. That's not, you don't get that. He, he had me write down a four once when he made a six, and I said, why? And he said, oh, I take one newspaper for a day. He, he, he re-hit once because a bird flew too low. He re-hit once because he said, I cough, like, like Mick Mulvaney or whatever his chief of staff is. I mean, it says a lot about your character, how you play golf, because it's the easiest sport to cheat at. It's like if you go into a candy store and the clerk is laying there dead or something, and you go, huh, this would be a good chance to take all the candy. But you don't. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just too easy, but he does. <laughs> We're talking to Rick Riley on the Mike Lubica podcast. I, I, I think this line belongs to my friend David Marr. He told me the story, and that he was playing with Jerry Barber one time, and, and Barber snap-hooked one, and he looked at David and said, you moved. And David said, Jerry, look at me. He said, look at my feet now. He said, I, I put one foot here, and I put one foot there. Then I'm moving, okay? And And... <laughs> You know, he's uh, uh, when when there's a part in the book, okay, where you talk about that the moment I think it was was it 1995 at the Hope Classic where the three presidents played together, Rick. I, th I think mm -hmm. where it was uh, uh, Bush, Ford, um, and Clinton. It was it was was it in the 90s? I I, I can't remember. Yeah, what 1995. Year it was. You're exactly right. Clinton was the standing president, and the um, the fourth was Bob Hope. And so it was Hope, Clinton, Ford, and Bush 41. 
Rick Riley, one of the funniest people on the planet, as our guest on the Mike Lubica podcast. More of our conversation right after this from Geico. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket? It just may be the most rewarding to do you do today. And you you yeah. put the scores in, and there was like 95, 97, 103, and you say in the book, yeah. those were what they really shot that day. And then you go off under riff. And I didn't ask you about this when, when, when the book first came out, but I'll ask you about it now. And you talk about the difference in the way Barack Obama approaches his golf game and the way Trump approaches his. And it's, again, it's another insight, not just into Trump and right. golf, but the differences, the profound differences between these two men. Well, there's a chapter about how all the other presidents went about this game. Right. And nobody uh, nobody comes close to approaching Trump's level of cheating. Now, I played with Clinton when he was president, and he had a, a, a different kind of cheating. He's kind of the guy that goes to the bank and steals the pen, where Trump goes in to steal the vault. <laughs> like, Clinton's not trying to beat you or ruin your score the way <laughs> Trump's been known to kick other people's balls in the bunker. And we have stories like that. Clinton's just trying to, because he only got to play like once every couple months. So he'd hit what we, not mulligans, we called them billigans. So he'd hit his first shot and he'd go, that's pretty good. I'm going to hit a few more. And then he'd practice, which is illegal, but but he would never play those. And the Secret Service and the caddies would have to go run them down. And then then, always there'd be some like, chief of staff goes, I think your first one's right here, Mr. President, next to the pin. <laughs> but, but, but that day was Clinton, Bush 41, and Ford, and Bob Hope, and it was a mess. Uh, Bush 41 hit a woman in the glasses, and she bled, and uh, Ford hit a guy hard, and uh, afterwards, Barbara Bush said, as if there's not enough violence on TV already. <laughs> but this is my point about Trump. These guys played it, especially the Bushes. As you know, Forty-One's uh, father was Prescott Bush, who ran the USGA. They play it as it lies, and they never touch the ball. And the same with um, uh, Obama. Right. He hardly, because you know our friends Michael Wilbon and Tony. They Kornheim played a ton of. No, you you talk lot. about it in the book. They played a lot of golf with Obama. Right, and I know him a little. But he's, they say he is very strict with the rules. You might get a gimme inside the leather of your putter, and that's not from the blade to the leather. That's just the, the 10 inches of the leather. Otherwise, you're playing it by the rules. So he's gotten a lot better since he left the office. And I think when he was in office, he probably left at 15 or 14. They say he's down to like a 10 or 11 now. And I think Trump, is. Uh, Tiger says he's about a 10 I've seen videos that cannot chip, so he might be a 12. Would that be a pay-per-view for the ages? Oh, my God. Obama versus Trump? Oh, my God. And we'd have to have – and by the way, Rick, we're talking to Rick Riley on the Mike Lubica podcast. Think about it, okay? Because all I could remember from from the Tiger Mickelson uh, challenge match, you know – was I thought, Phil, you know, they had a mic so closely that all, by the third hole, this is what you heard from Mickelson. 
Ugh. You know, I, I, I was afraid that he was gonna that he was gonna be on oxygen by the time they made the turn. Okay, can you imagine what Trump would sound like on the course? You know, because no, he's no. only carrying he's only carrying two hundred forty three oh. pounds, Rick. You know, because that's what the doctor said. Um, yeah, if he made uh, him thirty nine, yeah, and all of a sudden he's six three, and I've stared him eye to eye my whole life, and I'm six one. So all of a sudden he grew two inches at seventy two years old. I don't get it. Uh, you know, going back to that Tiger Phil thing. I always explain to people, you know why you need sports writers? Listen to that show. Listen to them being mic'd. They don't say anything interesting to each other. They're not colorful. Now, Phil's a little more colorful than Tiger, but you need sports writers to make this stuff interesting and try it without them. <laughs> that was so dull. They put mics on these guys and they hardly talk. You, if you want to see the the wit and wisdom of of some of the the guys that we're lucky enough to cover, <laughs> follow them on social media and and as as a and you know what it is, Rick? It's a mirth free zone. That's what it is. It's a, <laughs> oh, I know. A lot of these guys had charisma bypasses. I mean, they really did. But <laughs> going back to quickly the president, so I was going to tell you, people like Trump's going to play more golf than any president in history. Well, that's not true. Woodrow Wilson. Uh, his doctor in his first year says, you're going to drop dead of a heart attack if you don't get a hobby. And he said, well, I don't have any hobbies. It's just all politics all the time. And he said, how about golf? And so he and the president, President Wilson went out the next day and played nine holes. And then over a space of eight years, we think he played almost 1,600 times. <laughs> and at, uh, at, at his current pace, uh, Trump will play about 650, 700 times. Obama played about 250, 260, but he would only, Wilson played 1,600 times in eight years, but he only played nine holes. He walked, and he was back at his desk by 9.30. Trump never walks, and in fact, even on courses he owns where there's an absolute no-cart policy, like <laughs> Turnberry and Aberdeen, yeah. he takes a cart. <laughs> and, and in fact, he doesn't hardly walk at all because he drives on the greens. He drives on the green. That's like going in, into the Sistine Chapel, setting up your lazy boy in a cigar, and hanging your laundry. We don't drive on the... I can't explain to you how offensive that is to go... I had a guy, a gal come up to me and she goes, you know, I voted for Trump, but when I found out he drove on greens, that just ended it for me. That was it's it. Like all the stuff he's done to children and the, and the environment, but it's the greens that's going to make you stop voting for him. Hey, you know, I, I, I hate to bring up this painful memory, but we talked about it when the book came out. He did not go after you. He did not go after you because if he'd gone after you, we might still be talking about Commander in Chief being on the New York Times bestseller list. And so I will if ask you after me. I'm drinking Heineken imported beer the rest of my life. I'm redoing my basement. I'm dancing a jig. He, how come me, Mike? How come I'm the only guy he doesn't win? <laughs> I mean, I'm begging for it. I put the bait out there. I said, look, I'll bet you $100,000. You're phonied up 2.8 against my whatever it is, 5.9. And But we have to play in front of two rules, guys. $100,000. Yeah. He didn't even take that bait. No. 
Do you think Rick? Do you, do you think he was afraid that it would take him so far down the rabbit hole that if he if he challenged the the, the basic theme of this book that that even more people maybe the people who didn't even want to go on the record with you okay would come out of the woodwork and there would be a hundred more stories firsthand accounts of this guy cheating. Mike, since the day the book came out. I must have had 50 people come up to me or call me or write me and go, oh, my God, listen to this. And it'd be some incredible story that would make you want to pull out your eyebrows. And you're like, I can't believe this guy's the president. But uh, some of the 50 were like people I had called and they said no comment. And I'm like, dude, you said no comment. And now you got a story. And he's like, well, yeah, I, want, I don't want my passport revoked. I don't want the I I don't want a sudden audit from the IRS. Yeah, exactly. Everybody wants to be ambassador to Sweden. Great. But how about telling the truth? Because it really bothered me. And I'm so glad you told the truth about. But why hasn't he why hasn't he uh, blown back like he does on every other book? And I think it's because he knows he cheats. And every uh, every friend he has has told me, you know, there's a million stories. He knows he cheats. And as to the bet, every time he's played on TV, Mike, Pebble Beach seven times, Tahoe, which is about to start next week, uh, Tahoe Celebrity thing, which is not hard to do well in that. I mean, it's Kevin Nealon and Al Michael. He's never <laughs> finished in the top half of either of those tournaments. He's never made the cut at Pebble Beach. He shoots 92, 89, 87. So that's fine. But he goes around and says he's the best uh, the best rich person golfing. He says, nobody can beat me among the rich people. He says he's won 20 club championships. It's so full of hot air. You could float it in the Macy's parade. I, I take it. it, it, it there, the, the, unfortunately, because and if you haven't read the book, the book is a scream. I mean, and Rick Riley's funny, and and this this is the funniest thing he's ever. But I, I guess everything went into this, so we we can't expect Commander and Cheat too. <laughs> no, I don't think so. This was a one-off. Tell the story again of how this in 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 your mind became a book because it wasn't a book right away and 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 i know you're thinking to yourself okay if i wade into this you know when i say shark infested water the shark is him okay do do i want to open myself up to and i i think i told you this um uh, the last time we talked, I, I wrote a, 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 a mystery novel. I picked up a, 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 one of Robert B. Parker's characters, Sonny Randall. And I made like a couple of jokes about Trump in, in a 350-page book. And that's what the people, you know, the Trump people seized on. Okay, the well, only... What they say. Well, no, no, they said, oh, yeah, well, he's brought his political agenda. And I said, well, wait a minute. I'm writing about it. I'm writing about characters who live in Boston, okay, who are smart, funny people. What do you think? That, there's a line in the book where she said she, she'd rather do that. Uh, she'd rather run her hands through Trump's hair than do something, okay, which I thought was a pretty <laughs> funny line, okay? Funny. It's not bad, okay? They seize on this line. So you had to know that you were opening yourself up to a lot of pain. Except again, when I look at the reviews, you just didn't get clobbered the way I thought you were going to get. Well, okay, here's what happened. You know, I retired. I'd always wanted to retire early. That was my goal in life. And because I, I'm not a sports guy, really. I'm a people guy. 
I love stories. And the job I got was in sports. And great. It was fun. I loved it. But I always wanted to retire at 50. That was my goal. But I had made it at 57. I got to retire. And so I'm living in Italy a quarter of the year. I'm playing piano. I'm meditating. I'm having the life I really wanted, you know, the life of real expanding my brain. Were you about to say the life of Riley? Were you? Because I thought you were right. You had walked (laughs) right. Okay. Never. So I'm expanding my brain. I'm loving life. I'm sitting in a cafe in Italy, drinking a Campari, and I'm looking at my phone, and I see him say on the campaign trail, 2016, I've won 18 club championships, and that's against the best players, and, and that's why you should vote for me. I'm a winner. And I'm like, you liar, because he'd already told me how he did it, which is to, whenever he buys a course, to play it by himself. So then I started looking into these 18 club championships, because I'm like, I'm just going to tell my friends what a lie this is, because it really burns my ass. And then about eight of them were super seniors championships, which is fine. you got to be over 70, but that's the difference between – you know, Betty White and Vanna White. I would hardly call that a championship. I mean, that's that's nice, I guess. And then the, then I started hearing stories about um, he he uh, he walks into a course and sees that some guy won that he that he's beaten a bunch of times. He goes, oh, I beat I beat that guy Schmertz all the time. <laughs> Take him down and put me up. Yeah. And then uh, so I said, this is ridiculous. And so I kept looking into it and looking into it. And at first I thought it'd be an article for SI maybe and come out of retirement and write this one article. And I'm like, this is bigger than that. And, uh, and so now it's out there. Now it's out there and happily so. And again, if, if you, if, if whether you love golf or not, okay. Or whether you, whether you love Rick Riley or not, you got to read this book, commander in cheat. Um, we're talking to Rick Riley. Um, all right, let, let's, um, let's uh, digress for a second. Okay. Um, and we, we, before we came on today, we were talking about our mutual friend, uh, Charles Barkley. And you were asking yeah. me how I got him on the podcast. And he's actually been on several times. And he was on right from the start. And one of the reasons why this thing took off pretty quickly was having Charlie Barkley on. And whatever list I would make, Rick, of my top 10 favorite subjects of all time, he, he will always be on it. And it's it's been so much fun knowing him since I went to uh, write a column about him for Esquire back when he was a kid with the Philadelphia 76ers. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, of all of them, who's your favorite subject? Him. That's okay, why, okay, good. Anytime okay. I see – so he's – I've known him since also when he was a 76er, and he's the most funny, smartest – and kindest guy, all yep. in one guy. Yep. People, I mean, I just always say, like, the best guy that I've ever come across in sports, maybe uh, of anybody I've ever talked to, is Charles Barkley. And they say, why? And I say, because he has this incredible mind. I remember one time we were, we were in Flagstaff, Arizona. The sons used to have a camp up there. And, uh, you know, he'd always, we'd always mess around after the game and go out and talk. He loves people. So we're at some bar and this uh, young woman comes up and she's maybe 22 or something with her friend. And he goes, she goes, you're not going to remember me. Um, and he goes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, it was like four years ago in Salt Lake and I, and your name is, is, is Lauren and I signed a visor for you. And your name, and he turns to the friend, you're the cousin. 
and you're an amber, and I signed a miniature basketball for you. Holy crap. And it was true. Oh, my God. He's unbelievable. And he's, he always remembers my name. He asks about my kids' names. And he's got this amazing memory. And at the same time, <laughs> he's hilarious. The only thing, like, I remember being at the Olympics with him in 92, and where Michael Jordan just sat in his room and played cards with his high school friends, as always. Yeah. Barkley went out, and we walked the Rambles, and people, and all kinds of, and, but the only thing you can't do is rub his head. If you rub his head, he's going to get mad. That's the only time. Well, it's never court. been an issue for me because I would need a stepladder to do it. So I, I, I never even was tempted, Rick. I, I, I wasn't. So, so one day I read in the paper that he threw a guy through a plate glass window at a sports bar. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. He throws the guy through the window. And I call him up like, guy rubbed your head all that. He wouldn't stop rubbing my head, Rick. That's <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, but dude, this guy, he's going to sue you for a million dollars. You got to apologize. I don't apologize. Just rub my head. I hate that. I told him not to. And I'm like, look, don't you have any regrets? You can just kind of dream up an apology. He goes, I, I guess I got one regret. And I'm like, what's that? He goes, I wish we'd have been on the second floor. <laughs> Rick, I was the other night. I was, I was, uh, had the remote in my hand. I was looking for something, and there was a thirty for thirty on the dream team. Okay, and. Uh. And once I started watching, I was in Barcelona, you were in Barcelona, and once I started watching it, I couldn't stop because for all, as much fun as it was to watch some of those fast breaks and, 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 um, uh, you know, it was pick, pick your rock group. Okay. It was the Beatles. It was the Rolling Stones, whatever you want. Okay. No, the, what it identified in this thing was as great as Michael was and Larry and Magic, the, the central figure. Of of the stir they created in Barcelona was Mr. Charles Barkley. <laughs> Do you remember the guy from Angola? Oh, they showed it again. I had for, I hadn't seen the elbow in a long Tell time, it. and for people who don't remember, Charles had, had gotten jostled by a guy from Angola who we were going to beat by about seven hundred points that night. Okay, <laughs> and finally he a basket's made. He's running up the court, and he'd had enough, and boom, and it becomes the elbow, literally heard around the world. <laughs> and yet, I can't remember. What he, he made a whole thing about it. <laughs> something about he's going to have to go home and kill a lion or something. I remember one time. This is what Barkley's like. He's so fun and so quick. And I remember one time he met my. We both have daughters the same age, and uh, he um, he met my daughter Ray Ray, and she was maybe four, and she's tiny, and she looks up and she's at his feet, and she looks way up at Charles and says. Are you mean? And Charles looks down at her, and, she, and he goes, "Not till seven <laughs> It's you know, Rick. When they compare Zion Williamson to him, is 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 sort of a physical type. Even though we both know that Charles is 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 six four and and a tick over that, maybe okay. Maybe. Charles Charles one of the great players of all time. He was a, one of the great rebounders in the history of the sport. Was six four. So when people say, well, he might be a Charles Barkley type, and I'm thinking, in his best dreams, he gets to have a career like Charlie Barkley did. Well, he might have a career that well, that good, but nobody will be as funny, pithy, and amazing as Charles. But you know, I always ask him, like, God, you're so only six four. How did you? How did you get so many rebounds? And he said, I'm the, I have the best second jump in history. Yeah. And he and I looked at and he 
would go a second time as high or higher than his jump before. And I said, how'd you learn that? And he said, there was this fence in my house, in my mom's house in Leeds, Alabama. And it was maybe, what was it? Three feet high. And he would jump flat footed back and forth over the fence. And with that big butt and his incredible legs, and he just learned to keep jumping. And what I think more than basketball he'll be remembered is how funny he has been on TV and oh. how honest. I remember one time Craig Sager was uh, doing a report, and it was the, the, the <laughs> he was wearing a silver metallic suit with a silver metallic tie. And it was just shining. It was like a... It was like a, a yield sign in silver. It was just the camera was just lights were just flashing on it, <laughs> spangling. And Sager does his report, and you can hardly hear a word he says for the suit, right? And uh, and I think the shoes were silver too. <laughs> and they cut they cut straight back to uh, Charles, and Charles goes, "Look, I I like it when uh, TBS uh, gives to charity, and I appreciate that they uh, that they take care of uh, kids at risk." But when you start hiring pimps to be on No, no, he's Rick, if you add it all up, okay, and I've I've said this and, and I don't know where you weigh he to me, he is the biggest broadcasting star in sports, okay? And oh, for sure. th- there there's like an armada of people. That ESPN, which which all which shares the the NBA coverage with with TBS, okay, with Turner Sports, look at all the people that they have run at the show that Charlie's on with Kenny and Shaq and them. It is to me, it's whatever started with those pregame shows back with Brent and Phyllis and Irv and Jimmy the Greek, okay. That the, these guys have elevated it to art form. Well, Mike, I know because I was at ESPN for eight years. And they would, this show drove them crazy because they'd look at it and like, they don't rehearse. It's a complete mess. And yet it's, you've got to watch it. And it's all because like Charles won't rehearse. They don't, they want it to be completely fresh and you can watch. And the guy that pulls them through is Ernie. Yep. And, he, and he always knows just when to lay out or when to bring Charles in or to try to get a little tiff going. But they, they, poor ESPN kept throwing, you know, say steel and this star and that star that just nothing can compare. It just, it's, you know, I always thought Johnny Miller in golf was the best, the most honest announcer. Charles is every bit as honest. Yep. Sometimes he's completely wrong. But the thing is, he's so real. Like, he's never going to just say something. I don't think he's ever going to say something disingenuous just because somebody, some sponsor wants him to say it or he thinks it's going to get. He actually believes this stuff. Now, Having said that, I think he's completely wrong sometimes. Oh, like yeah. when he said, when he said the Warriors are to blame for Kevin Durant going out there and and tearing his Achilles. I mean, I know Kevin Durant a little, and because he his son he is he is exactly the age of my son. And I did I got him in a room together and I compared their lifestyles. And one guy has ten cars and the other guy takes the bus, but they both love the Wendy's ninety nine cent menu. So anyway. And so Kevin just wants to ball. He just wants to play basketball with his friends. He's not all about titles. He's about having fun, and which, is, which is why, I think, he signed with these two friends of his, his best friends, from the Olympic team in Brooklyn. And so, But Charles said, it's on the Warriors. They sent him out there. That's completely not true. 
Kevin's own doctor signed off it. Because, you know, Steph Curry is a friend of mine, and he's helped us with nothing but nets. And we all know Kevin was dying to get out there. And, yeah, it was really sad what happened. But that's, that was Kevin's decision, not, not the team's. More of our conversation with Rick Riley right after this from Geico. Listen, this is great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Geico could help you get great coverage at a great price. And it only takes 15 minutes to see if you can save 15% or more on car insurance. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. All right. I want to I just ask you a couple of golf questions. You have a much fancier golf uh, biography than I do. Much fancier. <laughs> You've played more wow. good court. No, I'm just, I'm just a guy sitting here. I just, I just okay. write a very unglamorous life. Okay. Sure. Have you played Royal Port Rush? No. But Royal County Down is my third favorite course in the world, which is amazing. And they say Port Rush is everybody's good. Okay, so, uh, you know, you, you said something last time we talked that I hadn't, you know, I, I watched every minute of the Masters and watched Tiger win. And, and, you said, and you said something interesting that I hadn't heard anybody else say, which was, he, in an odd way, he got to play like a front runner even when he was behind that day. And that's when he was always at his best. And then we saw what happened when he got to Bethpage Black, and everybody said it was rusty. No, it was a golf course, and 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 you got punished there if you couldn't hit the ball straight off the tee. And and so he, here's my question: as, as moving forward with with Tiger, okay? And I I you know, I know you can go broke saying oh he's never going to win another major because I, I I think he has it in him to win Masters. I think that course is perfect for him. But is is a British Open type course? Where you can, and I looked at Pebble, and I love Pebble, Rick, and we've both been to Pebble, but you know what? If you can hit that many irons off the tee, I'm sorry. I, I, I think it devalues you as like the premier championship course or one of them in the country. So is Royal Port Rust, do you think, a course where he can get away with not hitting drivers? Yes, but, but that is not a kind of place where he wins. You know, Tiger says this, and he even said it after a Black Page. And uh, I mean, Beth Page, um, he, he loves, he, he likes playing in heat. You know, remember when they changed the three shirts in St. Louis yep, at Belle yep, Reef? Yep. Uh, he loves playing in really good weather. He doesn't do well in, in misty, chilly kind of weather. I can't think of a, any majors he's won, you know, where it was cold. So I know this is an odd thing to say, but at 43, whatever he is, his body really needs that heat and, you know, back surgery, four knee surgeries, the neck. He needs it to be lubed. And so that's why I don't like him. I don't like him there at all. I, I would not bet him. But, um, you know, he, he loves Augusta. He can, he'll, he'll, you know, as I keep saying to people, he's got, he'll be able to win Augusta until he's 50, maybe 51 or two, because it's built for him. And, He's still got a chance to pass Nicholas. I have $50 bets with eight guys that he'll still pass Nicholas. Really? Now, these bets, these bets are some from 2009, but I haven't paid him off because he's not dead. Uh, but a warm weather site like St. Louis, uh, I, I don't think the weather was all that great in Beth Page, was it? 
Uh, no, it wasn't, especially earlier in the tournament. And, 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 and here's the thing. Okay. And I, I, I completely agree with you about the, the, the majors in this sense. If, if our friend Tom Watson can nearly win the British Open when he's 59, you know, wow. if, if Tiger, That's a great point. I never no, thought of that. That's right. I don't know what's going to happen with his back. There's a part of me, and I'm, I'm not hoping this happens, obviously, uh, that, that believes he's going to get hurt again. Okay, but again, if Tom can go back to Turnberry, and I was there for him and Nicholas in 77. So it's, a, it's the greatest damn game of one-on-one I've ever seen in my life, okay? But if he can do that, Tiger can contend for a Masters, Rick, it, in his middle 50s. Remember when Jack was 58 and O'Mara won the Masters, okay? Jack finished like six that year, but I think O'Mara had like 10 or 12 or 14 fewer putts. If Jack had made anything at the age of 58, he would have contended for the Masters again. Yeah, do you remember how we were all losing our minds? Like, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. I mean, if we thought Nicholas winning at 46... This is 1990. It was 1998, and from tee to green that year, I mean, you remember this, and I remember that. He was as good as anybody in the field. He just didn't make anything that week. Yeah, those guys, guys like Tiger, Watson, Nicholas, that that doesn't, it's like a lion. He's not going to forget how to hunt. It's suddenly going to hit him like, oh, I can do this. And since they don't ever get nervous, they just catch a hot week. They could win. I just want to go back to 86 for a second. Were you there that year? No, I was not. I, I, I'll tell you this, and then because you, were, you, you wrote a brilliant piece that day for Sports Illustrated. I was on the phone with my dad, who I'd started playing golf with. We must have talked to each other 12 times, 12 separate times during that round. And in an odd way, it was like we were watching it together. But you, your piece yes. afterwards was as good as you've ever done. Well, thanks. That's what I was trying to get you to say. No, <laughs> uh, I just I just want to bring this back around to Trump just because that's so personal that day for me there, because uh, my dad, who taught me to play golf and was a complete golf freak and played by the rules, um, was watching. Right. And Nicholas wore a yellow shirt. Yep. So the reason he wore a yellow shirt that Sunday, the famous yellow shirt, was because a kid in Columbus yep. had written him. And said, um, uh, you know, I'm, I've got leukemia. Probably, uh, I might not have too long to live. And you're my favorite. I wish you'd win me a Masters for me. And will you wear a yellow shirt so I know you got this letter? So that's the reason Nicholas yeah. wore the yellow shirt yeah. that day. Yeah. So Nicholas wins the Masters. And he's my dad's favorite player. We all thought he was done. And he comes back to win the Masters. From that day till the day he died 13 years later, my dad wore a yellow shirt. Oh, uh, did he? And yeah. so we play a, uh, and have played now since since he died a tournament in his honor called the Riley Roundup, and we all wear yellow shirts. Our whole golfing family, we all of us play golf, and we we wear a yellow shirt in his honor. And nobody phones in from Florida and says, "I won it." You know, make me the champion. We play by the rules, and you don't get to just. You don't get to just take this great game and put a big orange splotch on it and cheat and foozle and fudge and lie. It's, it's, it's my dad's game. It's my game. It's your game. And it's about honor. And so it really bothers me uh, in, the name of my, in the name of my dad that this guy is doing this to, our, to this great game. I think it's the greatest game. 
And, and, and that's why I wrote the book really. And that's, that's what really bugs me about, about this guy who's, who's, who's just driving on greens and wearing 1995 dockers and not playing by etiquette and then telling people he won games and trophies and tournaments that he never won at all. I mean, I can go to the pawn shop and get a, get a trophy and engrave my name on it. But when I shine it up and look at it, it still shows the face of a cheater. Yeah, it's like buying a marine ring and wearing it. Um, talking to Rick Riley. <laughs> exactly. it, 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 I, I, here's the, the, the last thought about Jack in in '86, because um, it was the damnedest back nine ever. And and you know what's the most amazing thing about that round? The putt didn't go in on 18. It was two. What do you think? Two rotations shy of being 29 for him on the back nine. When yeah, that, but do you remember? Do you remember Tom Kite's putt? That thing should have gone in. It was like the cellophane bridge. There was no way that doesn't go in, and it suddenly didn't go in. It didn't. And that would have tied him. It, it, it and do you was... remember Greg Norman's four iron? Oh yeah, the easy four iron. And we, I think we called it the four iron because he four hit on the, the right. Yeah, four, four, he four. Had that um... miss. He had that choke. He had in big moments that 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 miss right. And if he doesn't mail that into the crowd, he's in a playoff. And, you know, you got Norman and Kite, maybe you don't win the playoff. But Se- Remember, Seve got oh. wet behind Jack. I mean, the whole thing. It, everything that well, had to happen. On 15, right? Yep, yep. People forget the, the, the Molinari hitting the pine cone with Tiger. I mean, it kind of set up the same way. I always say, uh, I've been saying about that, it wasn't that he played this incredible, uh, amazing round you'll never forget. No, he played safe. He played for the middle of greens. He, he lagged his way to the championship, the Masters green jacket. What was amazing is to see his emotions. Yeah. For the first time since I've known him, and I've known him since his freshman in college, he finally let out for us to see what he was feeling on the inside. And it was just so – because I was there the moment in 97 when he hugged his dad. Yeah. And then for him to hug his son – it was like, whoa, the circle, the whole thing has come full circle. And to me, he doesn't, he doesn't really, if I'm him, I never have to play again. I've, I've hugged my son in the same spot. I hugged my dad at the same tournament. All right, two more questions, and this might be inside golf, but I like talking golf with Rick Riley. Okay, one is you've, went, you've gone to way more many uh, uh, Masters than I have. What do you think was in Brooks Kepka's mind? Why didn't he play to the safe part of the green on number 12? Because if he's dry on 12, he wins the green jacket. What, 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 do you think it was just not a rookie mistake because he's played there before? But do you think it would, you know, I know he won't do it again. Okay. But why was he going for that flag? Because everybody makes that stupid mistake. I guess. Until you finally realize it's a two-putt lag hole. You can't go for that sucker pin because yeah. any little mistake, you can, Mike, you can be pin high and be in the water there. Yeah. And that's what people don't get. I mean, I've played it maybe 10 times, and it just draws you over. It's, so, it's right in front of you. There's no bunker. and It just looks so easy. But you can hit a really good shot and slide back into the bunker. It reminds me of, remember the year Tom Weisskopf was in it, and he hits it in the water. And then instead of going up to the front of the water <laughs> on number 12, yeah. he, he drops back to his lob wedge was something like 70 yards. So he drops it to 70 yards and hits that in the water. And then he hits the next one from 70 yards 
into the water. And he proceeds to hit five balls into the water. And his wife was standing there with Tom's best friend. And, you know, she's about to come come apart. And he goes, boy, I hope he's not using new balls. <laughs> I mean, he, nobody gets it. And, and, and it takes guys like Jack and Watson and Tiger late into their 30s to play to the left and take your two golf give take only what golf's willing to give you and don't forget it was also tony finau did it and the third guy i'm trying to think who the third guy went in the water there molinari went in the water there molinari that's right he went in on both 12 and 15 and 15 yeah so that was just such a i played here more than anybody kind of win and that's how he did it all right, last question. Last question because we didn't. I didn't get to talk about the U.S. Open with you, and 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 the U.S. Open for me was for all the people who think the golf doesn't count if Tiger's not playing it. What Gary Woodland did that day on the day one of first majors was absolutely as a guy who loves golf was thrilling. So I will ask you this: What impressed you more, the three wood, the three wood when Kepka was still knocking on the door, or the chip shot on number seventeen? Well, you know. People people don't get how intimidating Kepka is now. It's like if you're going down for a layup and you hear LeBron James behind you, I mean, it's very hard to keep it together with Brooks Kepka, yep. who, who has a chance there to win four out of seven majors, which is something I, I don't think Tiger ever – well, he won four out of four, but but uh, Bobby Jones didn't even do that. So uh, so Kepka is it just – is the, is the man now, right? And he's coming at you. So to hit that three wood, and first of all, that, that green, that, that whole hole is dead uphill. Then it's like a, uh, a green about as big as your bathroom rug. Yep. And somehow you've got to stop it with a three wood. And he hits it the perfect shot. It just bores through the wind, lands in the perfect spot, somehow comes to a stop. To me, that's that's one of the great shots in, in Pebble Beach history. And Pe- Kepka had just slid a birdie putt by the hole, the way he slid birdie putts by 17 and 18 at Augusta. And if that putt had gone in, he would have actually tied Woodland before Woodland hit that shot. And then the birdie that Gary makes there, it, 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 but still, the, to have the nerves and the hands to hit that pitch on number seven. That's 17. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's funny though. Uh, what's going on with golf? Both these guys are big uh, weight throwing bros. They look like Justin, they look. Cup, they look. They're huge. They Rick. Do they not look like Belichick just put two tight ends in on a third down? Because their demeanor is kind of the same. They're the same physical types. I anyway. I'm going to be happy to see what happens the last major. Rick Riley. The book is called Commander in Cheat. If you have not read it, you have to read it. It's just one of the funniest books ever written about golf. And and again, I'm going to call you from time to time. And and because it's just fun having you. On. Mike, this is a real podcast, right? Ryan <laughs> said he had one. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is the real deal. Apple hey. Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you can find us. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. Rick Riley on the Mike Lubick podcast. It's just, it's just really fun having him on. So he's going to get into our rotation again. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Continue to download. Continue to su- subscribe. Have a great Fourth of July, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. 
For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 